Good morning, and welcome to an episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre, or is it very well might end up being an episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Uh, my name is B. Peterson. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I'm the creator of the Screens Margins Podcast Network, and with me as always are... I'm Harold Urtiaga. I also use they, them pronouns. Uh, master student, UT Austin at the Media Studies Department. Uh, and uh, Wallace Shawn fan. We can start right off the bat. Yeah, all right. Um, Yeah, so uh, first first a little bit of context. Uh, This episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre uh, was actually recorded in three separate recording sessions, um, one with each co-host in an effort to streamline the conversations because we have uh, four people from all around all over the country right now and the lag and the ping would be unbearable if we were all doing this in one one uh uh, one recording um so we're doing separate ones for that and then also to allow each co-host to discuss whatever they like for as long as they like free of any pressure um and so what you're hearing on the critically acclaimed network um has been edited together into one uh one large and yet significantly shorter episode of my dinner with my dinner with Andre, um, all three of the uncut episodes, which will, uh, amount to somewhere over five hours of total, of total listening is, uh, they're, they're all available on our Patreon. So, uh, but with that, uh, before we get into the meat of our conversation, Harold, um, just a, just a couple background, a few background questions to get started. And so my, my first question would be is like, what is your background with the film that we're talking about? My dinner with Andre. Um, I watched it for the first time last year. Uh, same. And before that, I mean, I just knew that it was a, a film about two guys having a conversation and that one of them was Wallace Shawn, um, and that's, I mean, that's it. That it was in New York City, baby. All right. Um, and then, as for the three main players in the film, as it were, what's what's your background with uh, Louis Mal, the director, Wallace Shawn, and Andre Gregory? Louis Mal, uh, I have seen Elevator to the Gallows, uh, and mm. I really love it. Everybody always talks about, you know, the great miles davis score of course <laughs> right um but it's just like so such an interesting sort of structure because uh, it's a, it's about the perfect crime and then mm-hmm. uh how it slowly unravels uh through the course of the film you know and, and not so much the you know the, the the crime is done you know within those first couple of minutes uh, and, and then the, right. the journey is just uh every single way in which it goes wrong after that yeah no it's it's weird how breathless is seen as this this like this is the movie that started the french new wave when in actuality it was agnes varda's Lapointe court from five years earlier but even watching louis mal's elevator the gallows which i also have seen i saw it during my one year of film school i love the miles davis score um is that this really is kind of like Breathless is almost like the same movie in a lot of ways. Like you have this cu- young couple, um, you've got the, the all the crime, crime stuff. But anyway, it's just anyway. It, it it seems odd to me that Breathless is heralded as like this is the starting point when Elevator to the Gallows is right there two years earlier doing a lot of the same things. Um, well, the thing is, I, I feel anyway. like Elevator to the Gallows is a more like classically shot 
movie there's I guess. like less handheld yeah, I... and there's not all those jump cuts which is what everybody talks about when they want to yeah. jerk off breathless for a little bit so yeah i'm i'm not a fan of godard myself yeah he's kind of a um, prick I'll just... uh yeah no I'm not going to lie um i like you know plenty of his stuff but yeah he's a little pee pee poo poo man my my favorite my favorite uh jean luc godard film is actually uh the uh the bridges of dupont mcdonald i think is i can't remember the exact name of it but it's the agnes varda short film that she directed that's inside cleo from five to seven yes 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 that's my favorite john luc godard film because it's about how stupid his whole persona is with his glasses and how it makes him all cynical and dark also full disclosure this is going to be our most chaotic episode of, of screens margins just period of all time because uh, oh, I might have yeah, yeah uh, uh, apartment maintenance coming in and checking the sprinkler oh, oh, right behind oh, me. <laughs> so this is gonna be yeah, awesome. it's gonna be really really cool. Uh, yeah, so that might happen say, at any like, yeah. moment. Which is I mean, because yeah, on our Fossbinder podcast, we can get we get very chaotic on all these weird tangents. Mm-hmm. But but this is this is like real world chaos. But it's kind of appropriate, so. right? This is like my equivalent of the waiter kind of butting in and being like, "Will you please?" <laughs> Get out of just our giving restaurant. you side eye and blinking <laughs> yeah. repeatedly. And <laughs> Dude, you need literally anything else, please. I beg of you. Uh, but um, gosh, um, my and Jean Luc Godard is like so corny now because he's like people send people send SMS when they mean to send SOS. This is a cry <laughs> for help. They save my soul. Is what SMS yeah. stands for. <laughs> uh, and yeah, just cornball shit like that. It, it, Have you it, seen his? Did you see the movie that was like got a bunch of acclaim? His film from like 2014 called I don't even remember what it's called, but it was like this 3D experiment kind of thing. No, no. All right. I'm just gonna uh, look up Godard 2014. Goodbye to language. Uh, that is the most. Like it is, that's an impossible movie. There's like two minutes of interesting stuff in there, and then the rest is just like, "Ooh, I'm gonna do." Anyway, I'm. I. I why are we talking about John Lucatar? <laughs> Tell me about Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory Harold. <laughs> right. Uh. Yeah. 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 We, we, we kind of got a bit distracted. Uh. Wallace Shawn, like I said, I love. Um. Less so for, like, The Princess Bride or whatever, more so for uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where he plays okay. Grand Nagus Sek, the leader of the of the Ferengi uh, planet. Um, and they are just, just, like, little goblin aliens who are greedy. And, I mean, Wallace Shawn is, like, the perfect person to play their leader with his very mm. distinct voice. He, like, dials up the the sort of... Uh, the Wallace Shawn. Yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> It's much higher pitched in character. Uh, cool. And they wear, like, these big kind of prosthetic headpieces. Um, and my favorite sort of anecdote about him being on set is uh, there is a moment in the series where he falls asleep... Uh, on camera and I, I'm pretty sure they left it in um, so fun hmm. fun to watch out for if you're streaming Deep Space Nine wherever the hell is probably going to be a freaking Paramount Plus now Ugh, I Ugh. hate life <laughs> uh, Andre Gregory I don't really know um, this movie doesn't give you the best impression of him um, 
No, it does not. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, yeah, he's all right. He, you know. Yeah. No, um. It was. It was hilarious. I was because um. I was like looking at. It's like okay, because this was my dinner with Andre was like the first big acting credit for both of these guys. Mm-hmm. In Andre's case, it was literally his first acting credit. Yeah. Um. On screen, that is. Um, and I was just like, so what else has this guy been in? It turns out we were just talking about Martin Scorsese on our, on our, uh, uh, Wiseman podcast. He was in The Last Temptation of Christ. Huh. <laughs> he was John the Baptist. <laughs> he sure was, huh? Anyway, and so I was just like, oh, same guy. Anyway. Um, too distract- I'm too distracted by Harvey Keitel in that film <laughs> yeah. to pay attention to much of anything else. <laughs> just bright red hair and the. Bronx accent in the middle of Jerusalem. We've talked, you know, listen to our, our Wiseman podcast. Yeah, yeah. Go listen. Just hear yeah, this conversation again. About, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Go listen. It was, I actually yeah. really liked the episode that we did on Boxing Gym. And then at one point we talked, started talking about Raging Bull and then we talked about Martin Scorsese. And yeah. Uh, and I mean, but then uh, once again, we could we could just do a whole Scorsese podcast at literally any point. Um, well, yeah, but see, I mean, but, the idea of the screen's margins, man, is to talk about the people that not everybody already knows about, man, and everyone already knows about Scorsese. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and sometimes they know the wrong things, uh, which is a <laughs> yeah. Bit, is well, a yeah, little... maybe we should do a if Scorsese is at this point turning into an old person that young people don't care about, then maybe we should do a podcast on Scorsese. Um, I think I think there's something interesting to maybe analyze, like instead of a director, you could you could do a series on like Thelma Schoonmacher, who works extensively with Scorsese. Or Schoonmaker. Yeah. Really? I, I've heard it pronounced so many different ways, so I'm sorry if I'm doing well, it Well, I know it's Joel Schumacher, the director, and I'm pretty sure it's Thelma Schoonmaker. Schoon- yeah, Schoonmaker. Okay. Anyway. I'll write her a letter. But... <laughs> um, also, you said we could eat on this thing. Um, yeah, okay. So I was going to get to that. Yeah, but so Her- Harold and I are, are experimenting. Uh, Anna refused to do this uh, for, because for audio quality's sake, but who cares? This is going to be chaos. Um, yeah, you've got a sandwich, right? Yeah. And, and this, is where got, people, this is where um, people are going to turn turn it off. This is where people are going to yeah. stop tuning in. I'm going to, okay, listen, I'm going to be doing hours and hours and hours of post-editing on this. Yeah. I will make sure that this doesn't sound terrible. Ad- I'm probably going to put in audio of, like, restaurant, like, background noise. Yeah for like the entire podcast or whatever so it'll fit right in you should put cookie Um, monster noises when i eat my sandwich (laughs) yeah uh but yeah so you got a sandwich i have uh some some leftover um deep dish homemade deep dish pizza nice um sounds yummy that i made it's it's veggie pizza it's I, i i really when it comes to pizza i'm not a huge fan unless it's like veggie pizza i'm not a vegetarian or a vegan or anything but when it comes to pizza i just really like spinach and mushrooms and vegetables on on my pizza but absolutely anyway. yeah i mean you know single single meat pizzas can feel a pro you know definitely one one dimensional i love a good i love a good veggie lovers so uh, uh one more question i guess before we get into the meat of it is uh since it is relevant to the themes of of what Wally and Andre talk about um what is your background with theater if you have any Harold? Uh i have acted i i i acted in plays a lot in middle and high school um that was my main kind of extracurricular activity and we did both plays 
and musicals uh which okay. uh did you have a preference um I mean, I like I like musicals because they're like dumb and fun. It's the, it's the exact kind of theater that like Andre Gregory is like railing against at some point in in, in my dinner with Andre, <laughs> yeah. where he, where he's like, oh, these people who liked really experimental avant garde stuff nowadays, I talk to them and they're like, you know, have you seen so and so? And I'm just amazed and shocked. I I I, I kind of just want Gregory to like name names as to like what plays he thinks suck, <laughs> and just have them be like recorded in for posterity forever in mm-hmm. film uh, for the rest it would have made the that's... film more dated but yeah um even more than it already is in a lot of ways but but i that would have been funny if he's just like i don't know what was what was what was the big play on broadway in 1980 1980 tonys anyway well while well, you're, you're looking that up i uh in college i did uh a play and then uh in community college and then i transferred to ut and I did an, an experimental kind of theater thing at a dojo. Yeah. Uh, and that was sort of associated with like an independent troupe of, of, of players who needed somebody essentially who could just learn lines fast. Uh, and I, I was, the, I was the guy. All right. It was like a sense. It so- was like a, a weird kind of avant-garde. It's, it, there was an estate sale and it was like all of these mini plays were sort of built around items in the estate sale uh and the one that i participated in because it was like three or four plays that night in that dojo uh the one that i participated in was like a send-up of uh glenn gary glenn ross have you seen that one i have i've seen like the first 15 minutes of it like a long time ago and I was like this is a bit language a bit much language for my young innocent self but um <laughs> I was like I was like 13 or something when I when I saw that and I was like I'm not sure I need all of this swearing from Alec Baldwin kind of thing but I'll get around to it I'm sure um yeah um I think I I, I think it deserves a, a revisit from me uh because it's it's certified dudes rock cinema but I David Mamet, I don't know, sometimes often rubs me the wrong way. That's a playwright. That's another playwright, well, we'll right? We'll talk but a little bit about right David there. Mamet in this episode. Um, because he applies to not th- this film, but one of the surrounding films. Um, okay, so the films, or the big plays of the year. Uh, Amadeus won Best Play, so which is a really good play. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so... I hope Andre didn't d- hate that because, like, are you kidding me? That the yeah. the director's cut of of Milos Forman's Milos Forman's Amadeus, one of my favorite movies. Um, and then Forty Second Street won Best Musical, which is I think an adaptation of the film Forty Second Street, which was nominated for Best Picture. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm the guest. So I'm the guest. I'm the guest. I'm sorry. I'm the guest. I'm the guest. Oh, oh, What's oh, that I'm from? The gu- oh, oh, rock me, Amadeus. Anyway, gosh. Oh, yeah. Thank God this isn't a music podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am not that. No. Um, yeah. No. For me, for my experiences with theater, um, I was I my theater experience has been pretty much uniquely reserved to high school. Right. Um, you did tech, right? And, um, I yeah, I started out in tech running sound, running lights, actually designing sound for plays and, and designing lights. 
um, and then running them. But eventually I got on the stage where, um, and I really, I had a blast doing that. And I, I'd like to my think of myself as being decent um, at it. And my ultimate goal when I, I initially got into drama, into theater, was to direct plays because it was the closest thing to movies that I had in my high school. And I eventually did in my senior year after directing a couple one acts in like my sophomore and junior year um, with like three people. Um, I got to direct a, a production of 12 Angry Jurors and I was, got to play uh, juror number three and we got to do it in the round. And that was that was awesome, but very nice. Yeah, yeah I, I got to uh, my theater a, a short... experience. Sorry, no, I, I was just gonna say. I also got to direct a, a short one act. Uh, it was written oh, yeah? by Christopher Durang. It's like aired on the Carol Burnett show. It's called Funeral Parlor, but it was like a comedy. It was like a comedy one. Okay, act. Uh, but uh, what, were, what were you gonna say? Well, I was just gonna say is like the theater that I was kind of involved in is also not really the stuff that Andre's into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, be, not because it was like musicals. Uh, we came from an incredibly, uh, uh, my my high school is incredibly underfunded. Um, and in a majority Latina community, and so we never had the we could never afford the rights to do musicals. Um, like the the across the river, go over to Hanford High, and you've got six plays, two musicals a year with ten thousand dollar budgets for each show. We had like the same eight pieces of plywood and the same ten costumes. Like that was us, and we could only afford to do these relatively obscure plays that were, you know, simplistic. Um, in a lot of cases, um, I I'm still super proud. We did the uh, theatrical adaptation of Stand and Deliver. Um, which is one of my favorite films, uh, and that play and that film mean a lot to, um, like the to the high to Pasco High School, and yeah, it was. Uh, anyway, so we we did stuff, and it was pretty much performing just for our families. Like it wasn't this super high intellectual stuff, but it was you know working together on on creating art, and that was really what theater was for me was was just having a found family. Um, Absolutely, and, and also teaching me not to be homophobic and transphobic, <laughs> and also realizing that I'm queer. So. Right? Uh, yes. Uh, theater kids' uh, formative sexual experiences happen right there. Well, no, I wouldn't the... say sexual experiences. I wasn't that cool. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may be but... revealing too much about myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie. But. Um... But yeah, like there was in, I was a sophomore and there was a trans guy and I was like, oh snap, I think I'm attracted to the trans guy. And oh, also I don't, I don't think I'm cis. So yeah, like that whole, that whole thing happened. Yeah. We also did, had like next to no budget. What we did when, I mean, we, we managed to do musicals, but we did the uh, junior versions, which is meant for literally like junior high kids. It has like a a reduced number of songs and they usually run shorter. We actually, we actually, what we would do is, uh, for one of the middle schools, um, we would actually, they would, we would host them doing like the kid version of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or, um, uh, like Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, that kind of stuff. Like we would do the kid musical versions of those shows. We would host them. I would run tech for them. Um, uh, and what were you in? Um, so, I mean, I was in almost Maine. I acted in almost Maine uh, in s- several parts. 
Um, I I played Dallas in The Outsiders. Nice. Um, that was probably the hardest I ever worked for a role. Like I got into some dark places for that one. Um, and I also got to have the excuse of growing my hair out for a role, which was a great little stick it to my parents kind of thing. Um, and uh, just a lot of uh, oh uh, what, oh my word I'm I'm blanking on the name. This is just going to be us talking about theater for the whole time, and that's frankly fine <laughs> yeah. with me. Um, what you talk about with Don your Zalides. other co-hosts? Do you know who Don Zalitis is? The name sounds familiar, but no. Don Zalitis writes a ton, a ton of like plays intended for middle school or high school, and it's these like spoof plays of like various genres. Um, uh, uh, and with tons of pop culture references. Like, it's the stuff that Andre would be livid at. Um, and that's what we did a ton of. And I and I grew to really be, like, I am tired of this Don Zalitas stuff. But I have to admit, he gave me some of my best roles. Um, in one of the last plays that I did, uh, it was like the, the Brothers Grimm Spectacular-a-thon, and it was like this mashup of all these different uh, uh, Brothers Grimm stories. And they're, the thing with Don Zalita's plays, there's always two narrators, narrator one and narrator two. My first acting role was I got to play a narrator one um, for a, a zombie, uh, a 10 ways to survive the zombie apocalypse. But in the Brothers Grimm Spectacular-a-thon, I got to play the role, in addition to a couple other ancillary ones, the role of actor. And in the Cinderella uh, uh, sketch scene, if you will, what happens is that every all the other actors get sick on, and I'm the only actor left to play uh, the the scene, and it's just me and Cinderella, and I have to play all of the other roles. So the stepsisters, the stepmother, um, the prince, eventually, and at one point Cinderella quits the scene, and I play literally every single one. And my only prop, and this is something that I got, I I had figured out for myself. Um, that I'm proud of is my only prop was a scarf. Nice. And I had the scarf rearranged in different ways to symbolize all the different characters. Yeah, looking at what he's um, written, we did High School Muse Apocalypse. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, we didn't do that one, but we like we were going to do the election. Um, we did a bunch of other, we did a bunch of stuff, and we were always looking at other Don Zalitas. Like, if we don't manage to get the rights to this one, then we'll fall back on a Don Zalitas play. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, he did give me one of my best roles in which I was literally for 15 minutes straight just running around the stage with a, with a scarf in all the, doing all these different voices, um, which was fun. But did you like my dinner with Andre? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like it, I think, for all of its like pretentiousness and navel gazing. Um, it like, I mean, not only speaks to that particular moment in time in like New York theater culture or whatever. Uh, but they were like at, at, at several points they like get into this sort of budding sense of isolation that was sort of beginning to coalesce into the moment that we're in right now. So this was like uh, you know the, the, the sort of anti-war movement, then the Reagan era, then as a reaction to you know the anti-war movement, and then this new age philosophy yeah. that they talk about and now our our present hellscape so i think yeah. it's interesting like, in that way 
yeah, no, Screen Drafts in their episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre talk a lot. They're pretty much their main focus is talking about um, the political uh, uh, background of the film is like how this was like it's a it really does serve as a time capsule for this moment right before art became com- totally market driven. Um, and yeah, and how Reaganomics came in and all the hippies sold out and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I think this film does, does do us a, a really good way, uh, does serve as a really good portrait of that moment in time. I think the biggest critique that you could have of it is that it is a portrait of that moment in time through the eyes of these very bourgeois New York intellectuals that are kind of insufferable to listen to for a lot of the time. And and I love this movie partly because I've done all of this extra, extra textual research. Like, I mean, I, if I may, I'm just going to talk about this legal pad that I have right here. Over the past week, I have done a deep dive into, a, into this film like I really haven't done before. I've... Um, I've watched uh, uh, the pseudo sequel to My Dinner with Andre, Vanya on 42nd Street, um, which was Louis Mal's last film. I watched Autumn Sonata, which is referenced in the movie. I watched uh, uh, Andre Gregory Before and After Dinner, the the documentary in which you learned that, my word, Andre Gregory went through a lot of trauma and that it really informs how, uh, uh, how Andre is really just going through this mental health crisis in this movie and how and how he intentionally wanted to portray himself as a failure in in my dinner with Andre and you learned that his father while Jewish might have also been working with the Nazis and all this stuff and it informs why he's so obsessed with Nazis in the movie um but again all of these all the blu-ray supplements on on the my dinner with Andre criterion disc um i saw the film 5 times once with the sound off damn um and mm-hmm. then also uh, like one and a half times uh, audio only, which we'll which we'll get to. Um, and yeah, just doing all of this this research and in, into different stuff and and it 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 what what it really caused me to think was was two things is one one um, that I am kind of basically like Andre in this situation in that I have the privilege to go out and do all of this research, go on this quest. And and then like wake myself up to the realities of whatever this movie is kind of thing. Like I am I am in an equally privileged position as Andre in this kind of aspect. Um, and that that I have to acknowledge like unlike Andre, I'm going to acknowledge <laughs> that I have all of this privilege and all of this time and that that if that my perspective is is in that kind of like bourgeois realm. Um, and then two, it also made me realize that maybe the reason that that people can get into movies maybe any film if they like see it enough times and if they dive deep enough into it if you go down the rabbit hole like i'm so far down the rabbit hole that when i think of the word rabbit hole that i think of andre gregory's adaptation of alice in wonderland um and and like maybe this is what has happened to the poor MCU and Star Wars stands that they've just gone too far down the rabbit hole and they just can't get out and that they can only see this as like this is the only arts that exists kind of thing um, but yeah there's it was a crazy deep dive and I did it on the same legal pad I'll point out <laughs> that I did my very first movie deep dive uh, uh, years ago um, I was obsessed with the movie Christopher Nolan's The Prestige Yes, I used to be a Nolan 
a Nolan uh, uh, person. Uh, and that movie has like 140 time jumps. And mm-hmm. I what I did on this le- this same legal pad is I annotated every single time jump down to the second and then reordered them. I didn't have editing software at the time. I didn't know how to edit. So I haven't edited the movie into chronological order, but I have like somewhere in my notes somewhere, I have the actual chronological edit of the movie. Um, anyway, so just weird. No, that's, that's impressive. Weird rabbit holes. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've done a lot of work on this podcast, Bibbs and Whitney, and, <laughs> and hopefully someone will listen to it. No. And I, and I mean, you know, the, the other podcasts have gotten into this more succinctly, uh, and, and more eloquently than, uh, I possibly could, but, you know, just the the way that hardly even you hardly even notice that it's edited like out of order. Oh, the prestige. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, no. Sorry, what are Sorry. we talking about? I got confused. Um, never mind. What's going on? I'm confused. I also got confused. <laughs> I'm gonna take a bite out of my little sandwich. Cut this part out. You know, Louis Mao. Louis Mal wanted initially, when he signed on to directing the film, to not have it take place in a restaurant. He hated that idea because Andre just kept eating, talking while he was eating, and it was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, the, I I was reading um, this Criterion essay on it that talked about how much food was flying out of Wallace Shawn's mouth, which I didn't remember from the first time I watched it, and seeing as you know, as part of our formal experiment, you told me to just listen to the audio version. Um, you know, that was maybe one of the things I'm glad I missed by not having the, the, the visual element. Uh, I tried to like replicate my podcasting habits or, or like to the best of my ability. Cause usually I listen to podcasts when I have my commute and that no longer exists. So right. uh, what I've turned to uh, in in this sort of desperation, uh, is renewing my World of Warcraft subscription, and that's I'm so sorry. Yeah, I am too, and that's my um that's my podcasting game, um, and right. whenever I need to just like do something brainless for thirty minutes, sure, I'll just listen to a bit of a bit of this or that, and 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 play World of Warcraft. So yeah, so let's get into that. So you listen to this movie as an audio format. Mm-hmm. And this was my idea is I wanted to see the, to take this film as a movie. And then I also wanted to see what I could get from it visual only. That's what I did with Mark Edward Hoyk. That's what I did with Mark. Um, and he, he actually did an amazing thing where he, he had never seen the film before. Mm-hmm. Like he'd known about it for years and stuff, but he never actually sat down and saw it. He watched it without sound the first time. And then went back and watched it with the audio. And that is just kudos to him. Yeah. Great, great idea. Um, but, and then I was like, with you, I was like, I'm wondering what we can gather from this as an audio experience of just the audio, what we could get from it, how it might work. Because this is something that uh, uh, the screen, uh, uh, Ray, Ryan, and Clay talked about in their episode was how people are now people are used to deriving entertainment from two people talking Mm -hmm. Um, that that is not a a strange concept to people now is that you can just listen to a podcast where two people talk and that's entertainment. Um, It's still relatively strange in the film medium, 
but as a as an audio medium that's par for the course at this point so i'm wondering what you how 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 you found it just as an audio piece um i mean there's undoubtedly there's a reason that this doesn't exist as like a long form talk radio segment um number one's the recording aspect of it uh but i think this sort of uh claim louis mal is sort of balancing this like claim to realism that film kind of inherently has versus all the artifice that's involved in movie making right and even more so you know in this production particularly because you know that that restaurant's like a set uh Mm -hmm. everybody's an actor uh there's no you know it's not on location shooting and it's not just passers-by and it's not just improvised dialogue it's carefully constructed yeah yeah. Um so so that, that I feel like that sort of formal clash I it, it contributes a lot to to the the text itself like you know it exists for a reason but but I will say that as an audio track alone it does work pretty well especially mostly because of Wallachon's initial narration the very very beginning sort of setting the stage um and yeah andre gregory's propensity to just talk about himself for long periods of time i feel like some bits you know listening to it audio only uh were funnier than if i had been watching the film uh like there's uh, when, when wallace Shawn complains about portion sizes that was hilarious because i was just picturing like a microscopic food <laughs> that you need a magnifying lens to, to, to view so yeah, it was funnier in my head than it could have possibly ever, you know, been been in the film. If you had actually uh, seen the quail. Right, right. And, and you know, you, you tend to have, like, these very, like, I t- tend to have these very cartoony visions of, of the people talking that I know it's not what they look like on film, but Andre Gregory is just, like, all angles and black turtleneck, and Wallace Shawn is just, like, his character from The Princess Bride or whatever. So, yeah. Because isn't, isn't this where they got the inconceivable from? This came first, right? Yeah, well, yeah, no. He he says inconceivable at, at one yeah, point yeah. in the film. It's like it's 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 inconceivable that you would even go to Everest, yeah. like something like that. And yeah, and it's just like oh yeah, the, yeah, the director I, saw I, it and loved it that much, so they were like, we're gonna put him in. Yeah, Rob Reiner was like, I'm putting that in the movie. Yeah. Wasn't uh, one, did you watch Marriage Story? Last oh yeah, no, part? he's in Marriage yeah, Story. I in. I've seen him. I've seen him in tons of spots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, he, he, yeah, he he still does does a lot of stuff. I was just wondering if I had just imagined that like a fever dream. No, yeah, I think. Well, Alan Alda is in Marriage Love Story him too, and that's one of the most watching Marriage Story was one of the most uh, 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 revelatory experiences for me. Not because <laughs> of the movie's any good. Um, but because I had from somewhere in childhood had this picture of an actor in my mind of just like this older kind of smarmy guy with this very distinct voice. It was like, yeah, here's a file kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. he was some sort of government official. I don't remember. I still don't know what movie I'm thinking of, but I was just like, who is this actor? that I have is this a real guy or someone I imagined and I was watching Marriage Story and the second Alan Alda began to speak I was like it's you you're the guy I've been thinking of my whole life <laughs> um, but yeah uh, so I don't yeah I'm well, Marriage Story is the kind of movie that Wallace Shawn would be in right uh, <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I, I, I can't remember if he's in it, in it or not. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea. Andre does seem like he would be the guy to wear a turtleneck. Um, what he's actually, but it's actually what's funny is is his clothing, despite his very bourgeoisness, is very kind of simple. Like he just has this this nice sweat, a lovely sweat. I want that sweater that Andre's wearing. This is very comfy looking sweater, and then just a plain brown button down shirt underneath. Like it's not that fancy. Um, right. And sort of betrays his his bourgeois status. Well, well, it's not that it betrays it, but it just it shows that how like I mean, it's he talks about going out on these all these crazy adventures and stuff that like cost tons of money. But the stuff that he's actually doing, this is something that First Cut talked about in their episode, mm-hmm. is that he's actually doing like very kind of like quote unquote archaic activities, like just going out in the forest, going out in the desert. These are things that seemingly wouldn't cost that much just going out and doing nothing. It's not like he's renting a, a huge mansion. He's just going out in the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still sh- a symbol of his privilege that he's able to do this. Right. You can go have um, orgy, and orgies so I, in Poland I think that, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so I, so the idea that he's got these very simple clothing is kind of, I think, kind of works as a showing that like, oh yes, I'm very rich, but I like to think that I'm very one with the earth kind of thing. And, and the, the, the question that he's ultimately, you know, seeking through these transcendent experiences, even though, you know, his money allows him to sort of pursue that more intensely, there's questions that like everybody grapples with, especially people mm-hmm. who are, are, are being crushed by a system um and the the question is is there another way of life um i know i've you know been asking myself that a lot lately yeah no it's 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 weird because the questions he's asking the topics he's addressing are very universal topics and stuff that we can all relate to but it's that he's coming at it from this incredibly privileged perspective that suddenly just makes you just like you kind of this icky icky thing um that that he's he's so out of touch even though he's tapping into something that we can all talk about and yeah it kind of makes me think it's like this movie i wish that there were i've spoken about this in the other recordings i i wish there were more movies like this i wish this was a genre and not just one film where just two people talking over dinner about life and the meaning of it and the meaning of art and all these things i want to hear that from other perspectives like we talk about this in our wiseman podcast often about how uh uh, he's supposedly doing this objective thing but really it's a very subjective uh uh uh, interpretation of what he's seen it's it's from wiseman's point of view and we talk about how it'd be really interesting to see all of these very uh uh observational cinema if you will from other other demographics to see how they would see the the world as it is kind of thing and i would be interested in seeing my dinner i would be interesting i would be interested in seeing uh uh, my dinner with chiquita where it's debbie and chiquita talking over dinner or maybe two people who are involved in the theater but are incredibly poor or and and who work in in mediums closer to maybe stuff the kind of theater that I've worked in, uh, where it's just a couple people, some pieces of plywood, and that's all you have. 
and you're not going out to morgues and getting an actual head to toss around the audience. Yeah, you should do an, an anthology film where it's just little dinners. There, there's the name for you, little dinners. Well, I mean, well, th- I mean, that's kind of what this podcast that we're doing is—is is yeah, where it's just of. a bunch of different perspectives talking about the things that Andre and, and Wally are talking about. Yeah, but, but you know, since we're reckoning with with form here, you know, why why not stage a series of plays that do that? Why does it have to be yeah. a movie? Mm-hmm. Um, B- yeah, Bibbs and Whitney have talked about this. It's like this is the easiest thing to do as a play, and there have been adaptation, like play adaptations of this since the movie. Uh, uh, famously, uh, uh, Michael Keaton uh, was gonna do, and I can't remember the other person was gonna do a staged reading of it, and then uh, uh, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll barged in as uh, their characters from Oh Hello, uh, uh, Gil Faison and George St. Geeglin, <laughs> dream couple, but. Yeah, honestly, yeah, you, those two. Yeah, are you the Gilfazon or the George St. Keeglin? They're the same person <laughs> in my mind. I honestly can't tell them apart. Right. Like, if, I I am much more of a Mulaney fan than I am a Nick Kroll fan. Um, but, but, but when these characters, I don't know. They're both. They're yeah. Both just yeah. It's like it's people. like when when the Jim Gates uh date identical clones of themselves, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay. I was I was gonna ask you here going going back to this forum is like if you were to do this as a play how would you do it? That yeah that Just, that kind of that is the question right you'd have to like turn it up on its head. Um, I don't know. Just throw the whole idea of dialogue out the window. Um, really just do the my dinner with Andre yeah, but they're literally just yeah, sitting they're there silent, and eating. Yeah, they're not they actually did, talking yeah, about anything exactly uh, yeah. yeah I mean because if I were to do it and this is something that I do when watching movies and reading books all the time is like how would I adapt this yeah. kind of thing yeah I, I, like I, I, if I were to do this I think no actually you have yeah you have the 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 two principal characters on stage eating in silence and then you have two plants like two cast members sitting in the audience and they just start having a conversation like full volume mm. uh and there we go we kind of decenter the the theatrical loop that's sort of been established by taking by taking my dinner with Andre and turning it into a, a play. That's very Andre of you. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's actually Brecht, a really good idea. Brecht, eat your heart out. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I know. I should. That's do one of the other things theater. that I did in preparation for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Is yesterday, um, in between some of in between like this recording and my other recordings, I just decided to just watch the entire crash course theater, uh, uh series. Nice. Um, anyway, yeah, it hasn't really method? offered any ins. What? You're going to go method. You're going to do Stanislavski. Well, I mean that, that that's kind of one of the things that I've taken away from this is watching all of these stuff and specifically watching Vanya and 42nd street, which is Louis Mal's last film, which is a, him filming of Andre's, uh, staging of uncle Vanya. Which was adapted uh, by David Ma- as adapted by David Mamet, um, and starring Wallace Shawn, and so it's it it kind of serves as a sequel to My Dinner with Andre, and that is like the question is like what happens to these guys after the movie? Well, I mean we can see that they they kind of reject mainstream theater and they just do little little tiny plays. They work on them for years with a handful of actors and they perform to maybe a half dozen people, and they do it in crumbling abandoned theaters because this is the world we're living in where theater as we know the old theater is decaying 
Um, but we're going to be doing all of this very uh, uh, intense, like going back to the root of, te- of Chekhov and Stanislavski kind of thing, despite, despite it, completely non-commercial. Um, and that is the privilege of Andre that is able to afford that, to just leave, leave theater behind and do whatever he wants, insulated from the world at large. Yeah, and he can, um, you know, he says it himself, he can return to the theater anytime he wants. He literally has. And he has a couple times, yeah. yeah. But in in My Dinner with Andre, he's like, yeah, they, they, I was like, you know, the one one guy asked him, what will it take for you to come back? And I was like, I need 40 Jewish women who don't speak English or French. And, <laughs> and who play the flute or the harp. Right. And, <laughs> the, the, you know, they filled his request to the best of their ability, which I'm sure took them a lot of time and money. Yeah. Well, because it was Jerzy Grotowski who did that. Also a real guy. Um, fun fact, uh, uh, Andre's wife, Chiquita, um, real name Mercedes, was a director and actually directed three documentaries about Grotowski. Um, and I, I think that's one of the main failings of the film for me after having done all this research is it doesn't properly represent uh, uh, Debbie and uh, Chiquita as these artists very like independent artists that they are directors uh, uh short story writers professors that kind of thing um as if you just watch the film they come across as like housewives kind of deal and it's that's a, that's i think a, a, a small failing of the film um but what I, what I was getting is that one of the things that this whole project has made me realize is that when this when gestures broadly is over I want to go back into local theater. Yeah, <laughs> like I honestly, I, um, not only this, but just like I don't know, a bunch of stuff that that I've been consuming or coming across or going through. I'm like, damn, I really miss yeah auditioning for stuff and mm-hmm. um, just being on stage. So I'm gonna try to do that once. That's yeah, because there was then. such a physical camaraderie, such a casual intimacy in local theater, and and just it's it's i miss it i miss i miss being touched like that that's something that has not happened for so long and and it's just like i want to be back just in a room doing weird stuff with people uh, uh i would really enjoy uh, as andre calls it doing paratheatrical work like these very uh uh improv these crazy improv like the beehive that sounds kind of fun um <laughs> Yeah, I, I would have uh, the, the 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 as uh, from beyond the broadcast pointed out the the giving the 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 teddy bear suck is a a little much, um, but yeah, I I, I want to do theater again. Yeah, no, completely agree. Um, but wow, we really we really took the sort of critically acclaimed directions to heart because they were like, how would this work as a podcast and. We that's mm-hmm. here we are, um, and yeah, this uh, is how it would work as I a podcast. I think, yeah, I think it's it's interesting that um, William mentioned that this would be the way that sort of younger people, sort of uh, the the sort of connection, the lens yeah, from, yeah, through yeah. which they would view it. Because like, yes, it would work as a podcast, but it would also be the lamest podcast that ever existed, um, <laughs> and nobody would, and nobody would listen to it. Uh, well, yeah, because it's just made for these two bourgeois dudes, right. New York intellectuals. Yeah, they don't even get any good bits off. 
I kind of yeah yeah they don't have any inside joke there is so it's because it's so scripted into these monologues as it were there are very few moments that actually feel like human mm-hmm. like when at one point uh, uh, Wallace Shawn gets confused about when Andre starts talking about a fawn and like like the baby deer like no like the like the like pan like the the thing and they they have this 10 second moment of and you can see it better I think in the visual medium where like they like put the hands up and like do it and they have this little back and forth for like 10 seconds of just like oh yeah yeah okay I know and there's that that one burst of human humanity in there like actual conversation and then it just goes back to monologues and there's so little of that what this I think a lot of people talk about this as a podcast as I was listening to it like with the narration and everything what I realized that this is more of a radio drama than than a podcast when you put it in audio because it it is scripted and it is very structured whereas this is kind of just all over the place like we can go off on Godard for five minutes yeah I I would love or Cat in the Hat (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that film I would love to see uh, an actual play D&D podcast with Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory and Andre Gregory just getting really into his D&D character uh, and he dies, and he's just heartbroken, <laughs> and he has to go to Central Park and take his pants off and take, you know, to cry about it. Because, uh, yeah, that's yeah. what he learned in Tibet. You can't really f- fully be vulnerable unless your pants are fully off. Then the crying may begin, because you're sort of reverted <laughs> to the womb, the womb state. Um, What was I going to say? Do you ever read that uh, Wallace Shawn... Oh article. yeah, the essay. Yeah. Why I call myself a socialist. Why I call myself a socialist. I was going to bring that up. Uh, it's, nobody's it's a brought good it up. Essay. Nobody's brought it up yet. I'm surprised yeah. that nobody, like, even the, the the sort of more historical analysis of, of the context of my dinner with Andre, didn't bring up um, Wallace Shawn's current socialist views. Yeah, uh, what do you think about it? Maybe give a quick summary on what you think about it. Okay, so the quick summary of it is he first starts talking about how actors and how they're like the most free people that they can actually express themselves however they want to whenever they want to on stage and that normal people who don't act are like, doesn't it get a bit claustrophobic? And then he compares this to roles in society. Um, this goes back to my dinner with Andre and talk about how like everyone's performing now. This is why Jerzy Grotowski left the theater because it's superfluous, obscene, because everyone's already playing a role. Right. And if I may and just Wallace... cut in for like literally just a oh, second. Go that, that was another thing that I was going to mention before I forget. I think uh, another important part of the, the tension here uh, between media uh, and, and between different types of like artistic expression is the sort of view that theater people have about how important the actor is versus the like pure cinema view that actors are just like figures that you put Puppets. in front of the camera yeah and and you know as, as long as they can emote within a certain you know degree of belie- believability or sometimes it's even better if they don't do it within any degree of belie- believability uh let's say nicholas <laughs> nicholas cage um uh or yeah, the, these like expressionist actors, whatever you want to call them. Um, mm. I, and I, I think the sort of that Tommy Wiseau, if you will. Uh, yeah, a little less, con- <laughs> a little less consciously, I would argue, but but absolutely. And I, and I think you know, for a conversation that's that's all about performance, uh, both in the in movie conversation and this movie that this conversation that we're having right now in the movie it's of so our meta. lives, yeah. I, I think it's important to note 
yes. so yeah, in it, my dinner with Andre, and also in with my dinner with uh, my dinner with my dinner with Andre, and also in my dinner with my dinner with my dinner with Andre. This is all this is all embedded in there. Yeah, <laughs> and and as somebody who's like both acted and been at various levels of film production, uh, you know, I, I I can understand the arguments for both, and like actors obviously love to be the center of the universe and they love to uh, sort of make their 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 profession very important uh which i'm not saying that it's not but that's what where wallace sean is starting off in this essay called why i call myself a socialist and then it takes yeah. some turns yeah and then he yeah and then he applies it to the broader idea of people playing roles in society and how people are given assigned roles almost at random as like you are going to be in this very wealthy spot and so you will become a businessman or a CEO or or very wealthy or whatever it is and then there are some people who will d- be destined to be like janitors and construction workers and all that stuff and and people are stuck trapped in these roles by society and how like isn't that claustrophobic and let's apply it to uh, uh and then he goes on this tangent off about Thomas Jefferson and how uh, uh he could only see uh uh he could only see like his slaves as as that he couldn't see them as people he couldn't see them as equals because he was trapped by the rules and then at one point he says is like are you more of a genius than tom thomas jefferson hmm i think not kind of and i'm just like uh <laughs> yeah that's that's a loaded statement because on one level you're calling people dumb and another level you're calling people uh, uh not able to be less racist than, than thomas jefferson uh, <laughs> but we're there's there's a at a few points in this essay, I was like, "Okay, Wallace Shawn, you're 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 going a little little far." Uh, but his, and then his he heart's in the right like, place. Yeah, yes, his heart is in the right place. Uh, uh, as I, I as he is in my dinner with Andre, as in in the writing of it, he was trying to create this bourgeois humanist, like this person who's claiming, who's advocating for their very day to day monotonous life, as as it's put kind of thing is like this very average life and yet he is also incredibly privileged because he he gets to be an actor on the side to make ends meet kind of thing mm-hmm. and and he's wanting to kill that character and and he's wanting to in this essay talk about how he wants to just kill all of the roles that we need to start from scratch and how that yeah i call myself a socialist though he never actually says that in the essay um that i that that the that we can't just have this this people are stuck in the roles people need to be able to play whomever they wish um and that comes as a result of changing this very capitalistic uh, uh racist which same those are the same thing uh, uh system uh, uh the main critique i would have of it is like when talking about like throwing away all the roles kind of thing and like taking away all of the like taking away all the color out of it kind of thing. Whenever you have those kind of arguments of like, let's like, it's like kind of the same as like, let's just everyone screws everyone. And eventually just have one race of this very generic thing kind of thing. It's like kind of that same idea. And it's just like, uh, uh, who, okay. But then who dictates whose culture gets to survive this cleansing kind of thing. And anyway, so there's a couple issues that I have with it, but on the whole, very well, very well thought and very well written. So yeah, yeah, and I, I, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated because you don't, you know, choose what race you're you're born as or what you what right. you go what you go into. Uh, you do. Um, and I think that 
of yes, of course. If somebody were to hand out jobs, that person would be at the top of the job hierarchy, by mere you know the sheer fact that they hand out the jobs. Um, yeah. And yeah, and and obviously you know he's he's trying to end it. He's trying to keep it short and end it in a kind of pithy way. So it kind of ends there. But it seems like it would. This would be chapter one of like a book. Uh, where he goes about on socialism. Yeah, yeah. Where he goes on and he's like, okay, here's how we work, you know, communally to sort of decenter the, uh, these kind of hierarchies, you know, to bring another word that I used earlier in the podcast back in, or, or you know, sort of sort of make things make things more fair, make things more just. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I, I knowing this about Wallace Shawn did make me appreciate him a bit more. I will say. Yeah, no, I mean, I always just known him as this very relatively well-known and but small character actor. Um, and like uh, for me, he'll always be uh, uh, the insurance guy from The Incredibles. <laughs> uh, uh, not happy, Bob. Not happy. Like he, he'll be that guy for me um, forever. But but I was really glad to like to see all this and see like that his genuinely more interesting stuff is is in the theater and his his plays and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I, for going, just going back quickly to the audio of it. Um, a couple things. One, uh, the, their voices, how did, how, how, cause like Andre Gregory, great voice, hypnotic voice. Wallace Shawn, not hypnotic, but very distinct. Um, how how did it go for you just listening to these two dynamics bounce off each other? Uh, like they're they're two very distinct voices. I mean, like I mentioned kind of earlier, like there's just so much Andre Gregory talking that sometimes it's easy to forget that Wallace Shawn is like sitting right there in the same space because you're not looking <laughs> at him, and it's not until mm-hmm. he's like, how how could you say that? Uh, yeah. How could you think about? How would you think that about yourself, yourself, Andre? I I really don't know what you're talking about. Um. Oh, just shout out to one last time to to Clay at Screen Drafts. Amazing Wallace Shawn impersonation in in their episode of My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. He does an amazing Wallace Shawn. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I guess I had thought about that about just forgetting that Wally is there. Something that I I only realized once I watched the film with the sound off is you forget that there is a couple sitting four feet away from them in the restaurant. There sure is. Um, when, the, you go to, when, they, when they go to sit down, you see that there's a couple right there, and we never see them for the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, and so it's, it was just really funny watching. Like, when you watch it with the sound off, you very much notice when you see other people in the frame mm-hmm. um, and, like, how the patrons slowly leave. And this is in the audio. This is what Bibbs and Whitney talked about, is how over the course of the film, the audio fades out and for like the last 45 to 50 minutes they are the only two people there yeah 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 in um, in, in, in uh whitney specifically was like i'd urge everybody to pay attention to the audio design in this movie because uh yeah their voices start to echo just a little bit um and you're like oh it's oh it's empty empty now uh, mm-hmm. so that was fun to kind of uh listen through in in that regard and the use of like ambient sound is so like believable right because it's very mm-hmm. easy to just have a kind of segment that you loop uh and be lazy yeah. about it 
Uh, we we talked about this on our Fossbender podcast with Fossbender's first film, how we would just loop audio. Yeah. And you would hear people whistling over and over and over again in the scene. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're doing a, a close listen like that, you're, you're bound to pick it up. And uh, I mean, I, I couldn't. But then again, I you know I was playing World of Warcraft, mm. so maybe it wasn't that close <laughs> of a listen. Yeah, but it it just speaks to how carefully crafted this movie is, Absolutely. despite it feeling so extemporaneous. Or if some people might see it as very stagey, because yeah, it's a lot of monologues. That regardless, it is very very artificial. Like everything is is so carefully constructed. Um, and yeah, uh, when when Bibbs and Whitney brought up like uh, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy doing a podcast, like I'm like, oh, there's your next before movie. Um, Richard Linklater, like Ethan Jesse, the character of Jesse would be totally the kind of guy to start a podcast. Um, so he would just you before late afternoon or before uh, uh, before noon or whatever it is that. There's your 20, it comes, it needs to come out next year, 2022, if you want to keep with the pattern. And it would just be Richard Linklater directing uh, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy as Jesse and Celine and doing a podcast. Oh, wait. Okay. So the first one was before sunrise, right? Yes. And then before sunset and then before midnight. Before midnight. Okay. And then 95, 2004, 2013. Then we have to do before fourth meal where they go get Taco Bell. They both get or they, really or high. they could do before second breakfast, and they could just be talking about hobbits the whole time. I would love that, uh, but they get really high, and then they go to Taco <laughs> Bell, and then they record. That's an art, an idea for maybe our next thing. <laughs> I hate Taco Bell. I'm not <laughs> sorry. I'm not going to Taco Bell. I mean, I, it's uh, fine. I'll eat it. I'll eat anything. I have no self respect, and I'll put anything. The last in my time mouth. I went to Taco Bell. The last time I went to Taco Bell was in, when I was in the back of a police van at 1 a.m. in the morning because it was the only place that was open when uh, uh, my parents called. I was in uh, uh, Bozeman, Montana. My parents were at home here in Washington, and I was going through an incredibly depressive episode, and they called the police for my safety. Um, and they, I hadn't eaten in like 36 hours. And they're like, okay, we're going to take you to get some food. Taco Bell was the only place that was open. That is my, it's my next to least favorite restaurant. As in like, there's my least favorite restaurant like up here. And then Taco Bell is way below it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, if, if, and if I just, my primary, and I, and I, if my primary I memory just, were police escort, I would, I would feel the same way. Well, I mean, and I just remember just wharfing like these disgusting, like, plastic cheese burrito things down because like I just hadn't eaten and I was so out of my own head and out of my body is yeah um (laughs) film school while it had some great experiences I got to be on a film set for two days as a script supervisor that was great oh my word the isolation like before COVID hit the isolation was dangerous like literally dangerous to me yeah screw screw your andre and your bit about comforts and and like it's tranquility is dangerous um no man uh, sometimes comfort can <laughs> is necessary to survive you you idiot um fun fact i've i've told this to the other hosts and i'll say it to you as well um so you you know how they 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 film this on a set in an abandoned hotel they filmed during the winter and the heaters were too loud to um to run while they were filming damn so while they were filming andre and wally had electric blankets on wow 
<laughs> so just another layer of privilege on top of Andre. <laughs> yeah, ain't that ain't that just talking about how dangerous uh, tranquility is with an electric blanket. The comfort of electric blanket is so dangerous, and yet he's wearing one while he's giving these monologues. Ain't that just the thing? Uh, but like, yeah, exactly. This was like, you know, just the continuation or the the zeitgeist, the concentration of money, um, mm-hmm. inspired this kind of thinking in people that you know, yeah, comfort bad, and now literally like the only thing that's getting us through our daily lives are the little the comfort, comforts. Uh, yeah, are the little yeah. comforts we can get. Um, in between our, you know, uh, exposure to a deadly pandemic or interfacing with everybody we know through a, a computer screen. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm gonna. And oh, and also, didn't you hear that that uh, uh, that that we discovered this newfound phenomenon called racism last year? Also, oh, like having to deal with that. That oh, I heard about it. It sucks. Yeah, yeah, I would, I, I would hate to think that that would be actually happening in the world. <laughs> if I, yeah, if I were, you know, president, I would, I would get rid of it. I would just get rid of. Oh, I would simply yeah, get for rid sure. Of I would. Yeah, no. If I was elected, within as I walked in the door, I would send out uh, uh, no racism uh, uh, checks. Yeah. As immediately I, once I got into office, and then. And I, I would actually get elected, and I wouldn't send them for months. <laughs> send, send a send a picture of you wearing a snapback with a hand drawn sign that says "Stop Racism," and you're biting your lip, and there's just like a like a blur effect, so that you look like porcelain. Um, it's and it's just a fried fried meme of you holding the "Stop Racism" sign, and that's gonna be your your campaign poster and your presidential portrait. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I want to be the first president whose presidential portrait is a meme. I can never be president because I'm not a U.S. <laughs> oh, citizen. You know we're eventually going to have that, right? Yeah. That eventually a Gen Z person will be president, and there will be memes in the White House. Yeah. I know they're not going to make the Trump portrait funny, but I wish they would. Yeah, no, it's going to be some... like Yeah, because like the, the, the Obama portraits were just gorgeous um and yeah now it's it's gonna be something so drab and we're gonna have to have to look at it for all of history is one of the anyway yeah they're gonna get a political cartoonist ben garrison to do just a shitty cartoon drawing of muscular trump and just put that up no no it'll be it'll be, you know what it's por- president presidential portrait is is his face photoshopped on rocky yeah it's the whatever my cart our cartoon president is um which he actually tweeted out himself because yeah i um, i know they're not gonna continue that with like biden or whatever because he's not funny um but i kind of wish they would just like we would continue the level of of presidential hate onto this next term and just like be constantly like ragging on how senile he is uh, and how he's smoking on that sleepy Joe OG. I'm I'm frankly I'm I'm tired of thinking about the executive branch in general. I feel you. Um, though, yeah, I mean, let's let's be active in in holding people and that we've elected to office accountable and all that stuff. But I mean, you I just you don't want to have to think about it every day. 
I haven't elected anybody. I can't. And, you know, when I can sit on my own two hands and put my thumb up my butt and be like, y'all did this. I'm just sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. Such is, such is life. Yeah. Happy, happy International Women's Day. We need more female ICE agents. (laughs) Go Queens. That's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a what a note to end this on. Or are we ending it? Okay. Uh, I mean, the, I, uh, is there anything? Do you, you have any yeah. final thoughts about my my dinner with Andre? Any any final stuff? Uh, this was a fun, you know, formal experiment. Thank you to Bibbs and Whitney. Um, yes. If y'all ever want to talk about Wallace Shawn in Star Trek. Uh, oh well, you know that you know that Whitney that they have a yes. Star Trek specific podcast, right? I do. Yeah. I do know. So, um, I can talk a lot about Star Trek, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Invite Harold on the show to talk about. I'm a Ferengi. I'm a, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know Star Trek specifically. Deep Space <laughs> I Nine. To their, I listen to all their podcasts. I don't know. I haven't seen a frame of Star Trek. You would so. love. You would love Deep Space Nine specifically. That's what this is what, what okay. I'm saying. The all best right. one. I I'm kind of interested in starting with Lower Decks, but it's only on Paramount Plus, and I don't want to pay for that. Yeah. Everybody uh, says TNG is the best, and uh, I know there's a lot of Voyager fans out there, and I will not say anything about them. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, Deep Space Nine, for for what it's worth, is is my favorite. Um, okay. Because it's yeah, everybody complains that it's Star Trek is about traveling, uh, but this one takes place in the space station. But it ends mm. up being like a funky like Wild West town, and you've got okay. all the character archetypes uh, you could possibly you know imagine. Um, so yeah. I was, gonna, right. I was gonna I was gonna look up a funny joke, but I don't think we have enough time. Oh, so, we have as much time as you'd like. Look up any funny joke you want. Yeah, okay. I'm literally just reading a Tumblr bo- post verbatim, which is I think the worst <laughs> kind of podcasting you can do. Uh, and no, it's it, the it, best kind in of the central the central difference between Star Trek the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine is TNG is like Welcome aboard the Starship Enterprise, a luxury cruise ship drifting among the stars. Our crew contains notable elements of capital D diversity, and our captain gets pegged by an omniscient being from another dimension. Enjoy the soft jazz concerts, Shakespeare performances, and infinitely powerful holodecks at your leisure. And then Deep Space Nine is like, hop aboard station on fire trash can, bitch. Does our shit work? No. Is this a safe place to live? Fuck no. Senior officers include Space Dad, Lesbian Terrorist, Transworm, <laughs> Goo, Dr. Twink, and Perpetually Confused White Guy. If you want to get dragged into an elaborate crime syndicate, contract a deadly space disease, or get stabbed in a bar fight, you've come to the right place. Also, hollow sweets are for fucking. Yeehaw. <laughs> and that, that gets to the heart of it better than I ever could. That is... Okay, so the thing is, is we we're recording this. We've recorded we're we've recorded about an hour and ten minutes now. Um, I've got we've got two two over two hours of of audio with me and Mark Edward Hoyk, and we've gotten ninety minutes with myself and Anna Campion. Ultimately, all of our stuff is I'll have basically half an hour from each that'll ultimately make it into the final episode. I'm going to make sure that this makes it <laughs> into our half hour <laughs> that, that this that this Star Trek joke will make it in. Well, because that's really what my dinner with Andre is about. 
Oh, all man. Right. I'm kind of regretting all the wonderful things I said about the nature of filmmaking and theater and, and reality now. I should have, this should have just been me. We should have just done Star Trek memes the whole yeah, time. Yeah, reading Star Trek memes off, off Tumblr. Just reading stuff. Star Trek memes. All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, why, why, why don't you plug yourself, Harold? Let's, 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 let's wrap this up. So you can find me at Twitter, on Twitter, at HaroldTXT. I'm on Letterboxd if you want to keep up with what I watch at Schmerold, S-E-H-M-A-R-O-L-D. I always want to spell that incorrectly. Uh, where else can you find me? I don't know. I want, well, to get an, find I want to get an article published soon, bro. Well, I mean, movie battle exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, take uh, it uh, I mean, I've, I've contributed to stuff, but I, I was talking more about an academic article. Uh, oh, which okay. is another beast entirely, right? Um, yeah. Well, well for now, where you can find Harold is over on the Screens Margins. The Screens Margins is our podcast network where we do deep dives like we have just done on My Dinner with Andre. But instead of just watching a ton of movies over the course of one week, we watch one movie a week for months. Because what we do is we do dives into directors... Uh, filmographies going step by step through everything they've got uh, we've got for free we've got a new releases podcast that I do with Anna we've got a Frederick Wiseman podcast going into the films of Frederick Wiseman with Harold once a week um, and it's better we just it's did our, more organized than this promise yes yeah and I'm more it's, insightful we've got like a structure and everything we're like an actual decent podcast with that um, and uh, da, 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 da. And then, when you want, if you want to go over to the Patreon, in addition to getting all of the extra audio that you didn't hear um, on the critically acclaimed podcast network, you can hear uh, about my dinner with Andre. You can hear Patreon exclusive series uh, dedicated to Dorothy Arzner that I do with Mark Edward Hoyk. You've got I've got two other series that I do with Harold: one about Fassbender and one about Lucrecia Martel, um, which is in Spanish, though our Spanish is often devolves into English. It's Spanish, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but have you you ever thought about what filmmakers you'd potentially want to go to after you know, than, two year two years well, from now? I mean, I've I've always I I intended to start to launch this with a Varda podcast, but that didn't end up working out. Um, but I so I want to do an Agus Varda because she's one of my favorite filmmakers, and I've seen I've seen enough of her films and done enough research that I actually feel like I could talk about her with some sort of intelligence. Um, Cleo from five to seven is my favorite film of all time. So there's that. Um, but I, I want to do Ozu. Um, I'd, I'd love to do, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of the thing is like, it's finding the right person. Like I do these series with multiple co-hosts and, and so I, I, like, I wouldn't feel comfortable just talking about with like some white person about like the films of Oscar Micheaux, um, who, launched uh independent film in the u.s as we know it with like stuff with like within our gates and stuff like that but i would love to do a series on him so it's a matter of finding the right person um but yeah Os Os there are so many people that i'd love to do deep dives that people don't talk enough about like uh, uh in the first cut a podcast one of my favorite points that they brought up is they talk about how um there is a fundamental elitism to 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 this kind of independent film mm -hmm. uh, that it is only the people who have the privilege to go out and find these obscure movies that are able to like enjoy them that kind of thing mm -hmm. 
and how there is there is a stigma around mainstream audiences and mainstream cinema that this is mostly what a lot of people this is what they have that this is what they can enjoy and this is what they have access to and so i guess what the screen's margins is is like i want to make this stuff as accessible like i want to make wiseman as accessible as a kurosawa or a bergman or a scorsese those are still in the art term, but they're they're recognized like Hitchcock. Like these are recognized figures. I want Wiseman and Varda and Arzner to be as recognized as these people, and so we're gonna do a deep dive on all their stuff. Um, but so yeah, so if, if you gotta put, I'll, I'm always just wanting to put this out there. It's like if you want to go into a deep dive on this very obscure filmmaker that has a large filmography and and is worthy of a deep dive, then yeah, just. DM me. I'm on it. Twitter at Letterbox at Blue Gray Closet. You can you can find it. Uh, you can find Screens Margins at on Twitter at Screens Margins. Always wanting to do more stuff. Uh, more more diverse filmmakers. I want to I want to do something with Kathleen Collins. Uh, Kathleen Collins is one of my favorite directors and authors, and you don't see any anything about about her work outside of very small art house circles. Um, Cheryl Dunier. I want to do something with Cheryl Dunier um, because she almost invented the vlog. And now I've been rambling for several minutes. But yeah, we've got stuff and we do deep dives on, on cinema. So that's what we do. Um, come over and listen to our stuff if you want to. We'll be here um, yeah. as long sometimes, as we can afford to. Sometimes we got jokes. Yeah, sometimes sometimes Harold's pretty. He's a pretty funny guy. Sometimes his his, his humor is a tad immature. <laughs> yeah, but 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 he's a funny guy. He's a good guy. I try to mix. Yeah, I like. I try to mix the heady stuff with the with the gut laughs. Yeah. And sometimes I win, and sometimes I lose. But I I think this has been an equal mix of insightful and entertaining. So thank you. Yeah. No, you've. You've got some really. You had some really good stuff to say, Harold. I appreciate I'll it, say and, right and and thank you to to, to Bibbs and Whitney for sort of yes. starting this thing in the first place and uh, inspiring us to, to think and and talk about this stuff. So, yeah, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and now we will float away into the podcast ether. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well then, good night.